Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, I'm joined by my colleague and fellow dental legal consultant, Dr. Simon Parsons, and we're going to discuss an often raised issue by our members. It's said that many a clinician, with the benefit of hindsight, realises all too late that perhaps they ought to have referred a patient instead of treating them themselves. Simon, has that been your experience in discussions with our members? And if it has, what seem to be some of the common factors in these incidents? Well, absolutely, Annie. And unfortunately, I've lost count of the number of occasions a dentist has recounted a tale of treating a patient with the utmost best intentions, only to see everything go horribly wrong. It hasn't been an age-related event. It's happened to recent graduates as well as to dentists with close to 50 years of experience who are soon to retire, and actually one was going to retire the following week and was just doing a locum. At the same time, the concept of failure was simply not apparent to these clinicians. They confidently commenced treatment and then lived to regret having touched the patient who was in their care and who subsequently lodged a claim or a complaint against them. Yeah, I think we all have hindsight 2020. No, we do. And uh, it's often so easy to identify where treatment went wrong after the event when you have access to the records and you're one step removed from what has just happened. It's often totally different when you're in the here and now. And I understand how difficult it can be when a patient approaches us clinically and expects us to perform treatment on them. Often it is because they trust us and consider us competent to perform whatever it is that they require. And I call this the walking on water phenomenon, where in your patient's eyes, you simply can do nothing wrong. It's tempting to really sort of accept that praise as it is good for one's ego, and then you can oblige your patient. And all can be fine until something does arise to shatter the illusion. At other times, I've seen it happen where patients attend a practice for the first time, seeking urgent, often it's emergency, care. The patient has no pre-existing relationship with the practice and the practice has limited records to work with and often no detailed history of any past dental treatment, good or bad. They're relying on the information before them, however accurate that may or may not be, and they can be time poor. Although this is not a guarantee that something will go wrong, I suspect it may adversely influence the clinician's judgment on some occasions or otherwise put the clinician under some pressure to deliver on a service to the patient. So if I was to summarise, I would say that some factors common to the cases where referral ought to have occurred but didn't are a degree of complexity or inherent risk of something going significantly wrong, and a sense often misguided in both the patient and the clinician's mind of needing to perform treatment quickly or even immediately. And there's also another factor, often a lack of detailed records 
or at least less than ideal information to refer to when about to care for a patient. So Simon, given those commonalities, are there some guidelines about when anyone ought to refer a patient? How can we make that decision to refer reliable so we don't risk getting it wrong? Well, Annie, in my experience as a clinician and in my conversations with other clinicians, I can see some clinical situations where referral of any patient would be considered wise. These situations would apply no matter how well you might know the patient. Go on. Well, the first is the most obvious one. Let's say a mother and child come to see you requesting a referral to an orthodontist. Now, you're a general dentist who dabbles in a bit of ortho, although you've only really been doing so for a year or two. The smart clinician will refer the patient as requested to a specialist for treatment simply to satisfy the mother's expectations while also maximising the likelihood of clinical success. The riskier option, of course, would be to offer to do the treatment yourself. So I'd recommend that if any patient requests a specialist referral, that you simply oblige. It is the patient's choice, and it is unwise to interfere with reasonable requests for what might well be considered to be optimal treatment by another clinician. Okay, and what about the next? Well, the second is also an obvious one. When the proposed treatment, or the treatment that might be needed if the proposed treatment fails, is outside your scope of practice. Now, to be honest, this is both obvious and possibly not so obvious, because the obvious part is that you should never perform treatment that falls outside your past formal training, experience, and skill set. I've never been trained in implant placement, so I simply refer patients who may need an implant to someone who has those skills, uh, because they have those skills that I lack. There is an obvious obligation on my part to act in the best interests of my patient. I don't only offer them a bridge or a denture, because those options are within my scope. Such a referral is what just about all of us do on a regular basis. We know our intrinsic limitations and work within those boundaries. However, I'd suggest that clinicians be careful and consider referring a patient wherever the risk of something major going wrong is a possibility. Now, I'm reasonably good at restorative dentistry and endo, so if I encounter a caries exposure during a restorative procedure, I can actually manage what follows, usually without the need for a referral. And I know that this helps my patients to feel confident that if the unexpected, or even the expected, occurs, it will be managed appropriately. But what if you or I are attempting the removal of a root-filled upper molar with long curve roots that, on the OPG, look to be intimately associated with the maxillary sinus. You might be confident that you can remove that tooth, but are you able to manage an OAC or avoid pushing a root tip into the sinus if one happens to break? Because if you aren't, then I would argue that this is an indication for referral of that patient. It is much smarter to refer the patient up front and then avoid the risk of being potentially liable for any corrective treatment if the whole situation happens to go wrong, then have it go wrong and then run the risk of harming the patient when trying to manage the situation that follows. Yeah, I think another indication is where a patient has previously had an adverse outcome when having a similar procedure performed, wouldn't you agree? I would. 
And unless it is clearly understood why that outcome occurred, and you can be sure that those risks actually no longer exist, you'd simply refer that patient rather than run the risk of a similar outcome arising from your care. Yeah, you sure would. But what if you do embark on treatment and you encounter problems during the procedure or soon afterwards? If you do break that molar root and it isn't mobile, it may be safest to refer the patient. Too many of our members have gone to retrieve those roots only to then push them into the sinus and leave a communication. Equally, if the teeth you've recently placed a crown or bridge on don't settle and remain very sensitive despite your attempts to desensitise them, perhaps consider referring to an endodontist or a prosthodontist. So put yourself in the patient's shoes and ask when it might be reasonable to escalate management to someone more experienced at these issues than you. A patient is more likely to be forgiving if you manage an adverse outcome promptly and compassionately than if you dither and further undermine any remaining confidence they might have had in you. There seems to be a bit of a recurring theme here, Simon. Am I right? Yeah, I think you are, Annie. I guess these sorts of issues do highlight a recurring theme, and that's if you're unable to properly manage a patient for any reason, refer. It's rare to be criticised for referring a patient who isn't responding appropriately to your care. It's common to be criticised for referring too late or not referring at all. You're only human, and you can't expect to be able to manage every clinical situation that arises. Be prudent in attempting care of patients. The best clinicians have few failures because they read the situation correctly. Case selection is key. It is. And you've highlighted some quite different clinical scenarios so far, but are there other circumstances where you should perhaps call it quits while you're ahead and refer? Yes, there are. I'd call them the patient factors. They're red flags that tell you that you're probably on a hiding to nothing and are better off moving the patient on to someone else. You know the patient who always wants to debate the simplest recommendation you make and then declines or radiographs or complains about the proposed cost? Refer them off. Consider also referring off the patient who only ever attends for emergency care and then finally wants to apparently undergo definitive complex treatment such as implants or orthodontics. Just don't go there. These sorts of patients can be highly unreliable. They're often difficult to please. They're poorly compliant. They often don't pay their bills. And without being too blunt about it, they're probably just not worth the effort. Get rid of them professionally and politely and focus on the other patients who show you respect and commitment to working with you, not against you. I could go on, but I suspect you get the picture. Yeah, I do. So what if you're working in a small regional centre where there isn't an abundance of specialist colleagues or perhaps none at all? Doesn't that shine a different light on the practicalities of just referring a patient? Well, yeah, it does. I mean, I appreciate that when you're one of only a handful of dentists in a regional area, you can feel obliged to treat almost any patient who presents to your practice. My reading of the Dental Board's Code of Conduct is that there are no exclusions for those working remotely. They're still required to consider the balance of potential benefit and harm in all clinician management decisions. 
they're still obliged to consult and take advice from colleagues when appropriate. And they're still reminded that good practice involves keeping themselves and others safe when caring for patients. I'm reminded of a very capable clinician who removed a patient's tooth successfully, but due to unforeseen post-operative complications relating to the patient's healing, ended up being held liable for tens of thousands of dollars of remedial care. His patient needed months of management before regaining some of his former health. The outcome could have arisen at almost anyone's hands, but the question remains, do you want it to happen while the patient is in your hands? I know I don't. So what you're really saying then, Simon, is if the clinical needs or the patient factors require it, that specialist referral, then really you should write that referral. Yes. It may be inconvenient and expensive for that patient to travel to the nearest major centre for treatment, but it will be even more inconvenient if you treat them instead, then they end up needing that specialist care anyway, and then the dental board or a lawyer criticise your care. I'm aware of cases where the board has asked if a clinician offered a referral, the clinician has said yes, but that the patient has declined it. The board have then asked to see the referral, which was never written. So unless the clinician has clearly documented that offer in the patient record in the first place and the patient's decision to refuse referral, the clinician's word that is being offered up usually won't stand up. Let me be clear here. I'm not saying don't help your patients who are in need. I'm just saying don't take risks with your reputation, your registration and your professional standing by embarking on care that carries obvious risks to all parties. Minimise those risks where you can. Write the referral, even if the patient refuses it. Keep it on file as evidence of your good intentions and be sure to clearly document any refusal. Unless there is a real urgency to provide care to the patient, give him or her time to reconsider your offer. You will be bumping into them on the main street of town for potentially years to come. You want to be able to look them in the eye, nod and smile, not avoid them because of the harm that arose at your hand when you attempted to help them out and it all went spectacularly wrong. So what about, Simon, if you are the specialist and those patient factors mean that you'd really prefer to decline to treat the patient, even if the treatment the patient requires is well within your skill set, are you still obliged to treat? Well, this is sometimes really a, a very awkward situation to be in. However, unless you have particularly unique skills in your field, there's always likely to be other specialists who you might choose to refer the patient to, such as in a university-based teaching hospital. Although it seems that some patients can be more understanding about adverse outcomes arising at the hands of specialists than what they are with GPs, and often resign to the risks of the procedure, specialists have been known to face claims of hundreds of thousands of dollars when something goes awry. So if you're a specialist and the patient's symptoms don't make sense or they don't really add up, you may as well quit while you're ahead and refer to another colleague for a second opinion or to an ENT or other specialist in another discipline to ensure that something in your differential diagnosis is not being overlooked. That's good advice. Is there any other advice you'd like to share, Simon? Well, yeah, and it's a really simple one. Trust your instincts. If your initial dealings with a patient don't feel right, try to offload them. 
If the management of your case feels like it is starting to go a bit off the rails, refer the patient promptly to a specialist to try to salvage the situation before it is actually too late. Often there's a voice telling you to stop and refer. It's better to admit your limitations or otherwise listen to your inner voice and refer a patient than soldier on and dig a big hole for yourself that you simply can't easily clamber out of. Sometimes your DA will give you that look. If she is uncomfortable and you are too, then it's time to quit. So listen to the feedback of others too in case you're doubting your own judgment. Sage advice, Simon. And thank you so much for that relevant and helpful content. And thank you all for listening. We do hope the podcast was helpful to you and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review. 